Reed Herjo made this claim about his 13-week-old puppy, Atlas. Myself, Atlas, and a friend were in a severe hit-and-run accident when someone ran a stop sign. Both his back legs are broke, he claimed on GoFundMe. People were so moved, they sent in $14,065. Turns out there was no car accident. Police say the dog's legs were broken when Herjo kicked him. When tragedy strikes, it's natural to want to help. You might go to the scene of a tornado to help remove debris, or if the disaster is far away, you might donate to a local charity that's providing aid. Sometimes victims use online platforms like GoFundMe, Facebook, or others to seek help for unique problems. Such campaigns can raise tens of thousands of dollars in a short period of time, especially if the story finds its way into news reports. Tragedies are fertile ground for scammers because they can set up fake accounts pretending to be victims and funnel the money of well-meaning people into their pockets. Even local tragedies are targets for scammers, Plastic jars show up in merchant stores asking for donations to help someone with a rare disease. Retail stores, even those affiliated with national chains, may ask customers when they check out to round up for a local cause. That money doesn't end up in the retailer's pockets, but it can go to charities with questionable motives and questions about how the money will be spent. I'm Jim Grinstead. And today on Scams and Cons, we're looking at schemes designed to tug at your heartstrings and pull money from your pocket into theirs, leaving those suffering without the help they truly need. Jessica Smith had cancer. She told her friends it was a rare type of colon cancer that was expensive to treat, and she was running out of money, and that meant she was also running out of time. If she didn't get the treatment, her fate was sealed. Fundraising began through GoFundMe. She was a guest on a podcast where she talked about her diagnosis, her chemotherapy, and the struggles she faces. The podcast was hosted by Jeff Berg and Terry Coleman. Honestly, the, the whole interview seemed off from, from the very beginning. She was kind of going through like a cancer checklist. You know, she was feeling sick. She was taking off of work because of, of her illness. She was going through this checklist, and it was almost too perfect. Others began to doubt her story as well. And when they pushed back, Jessica responded on NBC's Nightline. People have tried to say I'm scamming people. If anyone straight up came up to me and was like, I think you're faking this, I, I literally would say, okay, you're coming to chemo with me on Monday. <laughs> she reappeared on the podcast four days later, taking aim at the people accusing her of lying. Here is my um, fitness for duty form with the word cancer on it. Smith stood by her story, but what she didn't know was that police were already investigating after they say her own husband came forward, telling them he did not believe his wife had cancer. Jessica tried to bolster her story, but as police continued to investigate, it kept falling apart. They say her doctor told them those photos, which she claimed showed her receiving chemotherapy, 
was not chemotherapy at all, but an iron infusion for anemia. Even worse, when they tried to verify her claims of having surgery, investigators say they were told the doctor Smith claimed operated on her wasn't even in the hospital at the time, and that Smith was never a patient. In all, the campaign raised about $10,000 before it was shut down. GoFundMe and Facebook worked to return the money to the donors, and it will be up to a jury to decide whether she's guilty or not. Jenny Cataldo played the cancer card too and got $38,000 in donations. The Alabama Attorney General's office says she doesn't have cancer. Instead, she promoted two GoFundMe pages seeking money for her family to take a trip to Disney World and to defray medical bills. Cataldo was arrested and taken to jail to await court proceedings. I'm a summer guy. I'll be on the porch enjoying a cool drink and reading. Doesn't get any better, unless someone else does the cooking. I'm not going to spend the day in fresh air only to eat processed foods. If I'm not eating fresh, I'm wasting one of the best seasons of the year. Fortunately, Factor comes to my rescue. They send fresh meals to me that can be cooked up in minutes. I can go back to the porch with a great meal and enjoy the sunset. I'm not into program diets. I like the chef's choice meals, but if I wanted keto, protein, vegan, or anything else, they can provide it. Premium meals could include steak, shrimp, broccolini, or asparagus. The meals come prepped and are customizable. You can get add-ons for breakfast, lunch, or snacks. And when I head out on vacation, Factor will pause my service until I get back. Plus, I love to grill. So I can choose one of Factor's meals during the week and fire up the charcoal on weekends. Be good to yourself. Enjoy the warm weather, great foods from Factor, along with some money-saving discounts I'm about to tell you about. Head to factormeals.com slash scamsandcons50 and use code SCAMSANDCONS50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code SCAMSANDCONS50 at factormeals.com slash scamsandcons50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. These days, we could rightfully blame social media for many of society's ills. Is GoFundMe one of them? The company, which was founded in 2010, says fraudulent claims account for one-tenth of one percent of its crowdfunding efforts. It also works to refund money to those who've been defrauded, and has stepped up its efforts to catch con artists. It now makes sure money raised can be traced to the beneficiary before funds are transferred. NBC Nightly News asked Rob Solomon, CEO of GoFundMe, about its procedures. To be fair, you don't know the fraud you don't catch. Right. Well, here's what's interesting about GoFundMe. We've had more than 50 million people donate, and any type of misuse that、um, you'll see will be reported by this community. In the terms and conditions, it says GoFundMe can't guarantee that what you're being told is the truth by fundraisers. In the end, donate at your own risk. Why, upon reading that, would people feel confident in donating through GoFundMe?、Yeah. I think, at its core essence, people are good. Sure, there's some bad apples out there, but people want to help each other out. In my research. I didn't find any instance where GoFundMe didn't make good on its promise to refund donors' money when fraud was discovered. Time for the big leagues. Meet Mark D'Amico, Caitlin McClure, 
and Johnny Bobbitt. Poor Caitlin. She was out of gas and stranded just outside of Philadelphia. She was in a panic, but someone came to her aid. A homeless man who gave her his last $20 so she could make it home. Caitlin wanted to repay the man for his kindness and started to GoFundMe page. In just a month, the campaign collected more than $400,000 and people sought to reward an already desperate man for his generosity. So did Bobbitt, our homeless man. He believed Caitlin and D'Amico were holding out on him and he wanted his share. He turned to the courts for help. CBS Mornings picks up the story. Prosecutors say D'Amico and McClure bought a BMW and, quote, hit the casinos hard, withdrawing more than $85,000 for trips to Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Have you spent $1 of that $400,000 on yourselves? No. Nothing? No. You're representing that right here and right now. There's never going to be any proof that you did that you did. No. Prosecutors say McClure sent a text message to a friend acknowledging the story was, quote, completely made up. Investigators said the text also showed the couple was pursuing a book deal. On November 19, 2022, a man entered a Colorado Springs nightclub and began shooting. He killed five people and wounded 25 before he was brought down by a bar patron. The shooting left the city in shock. Anderson Lee Aldrich was charged with 305 criminal offenses. Immediately, people began raising money for the victims and others impacted by the crimes. CBS 42 says some of those appeals came from people with no connection to the city or the crimes. In the past couple of days, Alicia Morales, a close friend of the victims, spotted a couple fake pages online asking people to donate for the cause, but keeping the money for themselves. This is a really hard time for the entire family. And the add-on of the scammers that are trying to benefit from such a tragedy is just tremendous, and it's infuriating. One page on PlumFund.com Mirroring Morales' Facebook donation page profile has already collected more than $4,000 that will never get to the victims. And another scam on Instagram using Morales' photo and asking people to donate. Basically steal money from a family that's going through such a tragic loss. It's disgusting. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Sometimes the need isn't immediate, but ongoing. Police officers, firefighters, and soldiers all have colleagues who have died or will be recovering from injuries sustained on the job. 
it makes sense that regular appeals are needed to help meet their needs. The appeal may come via a knock on your door, or more likely a phone call from a real person. The call might sound something like this. Hi, it's John calling for the American Police Officers Alliance. It's the uh, benefit drive done each year to support those who protect our nation's citizens. The 527 organization. The goal is to fight for their rights to ensure the police officers are receiving the tools and training they need to remain safe. So we're calling the citizens in the area for the one-time donation for the drive. Of course, we make sure you get everything, including the thank you letters showing you support the officers. Uh, the top sponsorships are 150 or 35. I just need to know which one we could put you down for. The caller usually works for a professional fundraising firm, and these firms often take a high percentage of the money they raise to pay inflated expenses. What's left may or may not go to the groups they say they want to help. Such was the case in New York, where Fox 5 News said Stephen Riley, chairman and founder of the United Homeless Organization, was running a deceptive charity. In one of the most aggressive ambush interviews I've ever seen, and I don't mean that in a good way, reporter Arnold Diaz chased Riley down the street and into meetings to get answers. He got nothing from Riley but drama for the newscast, but other research did turn up some good information. The organization has tables set up around New York City where people can drop money into plastic jugs. That money is supposed to go toward helping the homeless. Here's Diaz. The truth is, the money in the jugs gets split. Some of it goes to the table workers, most of whom say they are or were homeless. But what you may not know is that each worker has to pay the charity a fee of 15 to $25 per shift just to use a table. The story ran in 2009, so Riley took a look at the organization's tax returns for 2007. United Homeless Organization's 2007 tax returns, the latest filed, lists Steve Riley's home in the Bronx as its headquarters. The charity reported income from fees of almost $98,000. It claimed expenses of $103,000. According to the returns, Riley, as president, got zero compensation, no money. But the biggest expense listed is 42000 for stipends. No explanation of what that is. The second largest expense listed is automobile, $24,000. Fox 5 has learned that at least one vehicle's title was transferred from the charity to Stephen Riley's name. And he wraps it up. The United Homeless Organization has about 50 tables around Manhattan, according to one of its workers. If each table worker has to pay UHO $15 per shift, and there's two to three shifts per day, that's at least $1,500 a day, more than half a million dollars a year going to UHO. A lot more income than the charities reporting. But some would say it's Stephen Riley who's exploiting the public's desire to help the homeless, profiteering from a system of organized panhandling he created. The charity's website says UHO provides food, contact information, and referrals to various housing organizations to thousands of people 365 days a year. But there's no food at the tables. In 2009, a court ordered the United Homeless Organization to cease activities, and a lawsuit was filed by then-State Attorney General Andrew Cuomo that claimed the organization engaged in a scheme to defraud and violate New York State's not-for-profit 
and charitable solicitation laws. The lawsuit also charges WHO, Riley, and its director, Myla Walker, with engaging in a scheme to defraud in connection with charitable solicitations and making false filings with the Attorney General. The lawsuit further charges Riley and Walker with violations of New York's not-for-profit corporation law and for wasting and misappropriating UHO's assets. In addition, the lawsuit charges Walker and Riley with failing to properly administer charitable assets. In 2010, the organization was permanently shut down, and a judge prohibited Riley and Walker from ever participating in a nonprofit again. You're standing in line at a grocery store or convenience store, and when it's time for you to check out, you're asked if you wanted to round up your bill or throw in another couple of bucks for a charity. People are behind you waiting for their turn, and it may be embarrassing for you to reject giving a small amount of money to what is presented to you as a worthy cause. Or you just want to get on with your life and a few bucks won't kill you. So you just say yes. You can go to four places on a Saturday. I can go to the grocery store, the drugstore, the liquor store, and, you know, the hardware, you know, Home Depot or whatever. All four of those people will ask me for $2. And when you're busy, you're a mom, you're, you know, you're running around, you're getting groceries, the last thing that you're thinking about is having to answer questions. So that gotcha factor is what kind of stops you in your tracks, and your first response is, oh, um, okay, sure, sure, I'll give you some money, mm. without even thinking about it. And I think that we need to be able to think about it before we make these decisions about donating to charity. That's from an excellent CBC Marketplace story on checkout charity. Reporter Tom Harrington says these techniques are not popular among Canadians. A survey by Ipsos Reid for a Toronto marketing firm examining donations at the cash register suggests nearly half of us, 44%, feel pressured to give. Others feel inconvenienced, embarrassed, even angry. Almost two-thirds of those surveyed, 64%, have refused to donate at the checkout. With all that tension at the till, why keep asking? Simply put, checkout charity is one of the most effective ways to seek donations. Just think of the millions of us who go through checkout lines every day at places such as the liquor store. Even when most customers say no, Ontario's liquor stores ask enough to raise more than $1 million last year for Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children. Harrington then goes to speak with Ted Gerhard, CEO of the Sick Kids Foundation, which uses checkout fundraising. As a fundraiser, the only way that you raise money is by asking people to give. And whether or not that's at the checkout or around a board table or in a letter, if you don't ask, you don't get uh, money. Our view is that that direct one-on-one ask between the person at checkout and the person who's buying something is an effective way because we do believe that people give to people. I would say that it is really, really important for people, if they are feeling guilted in any way, again, to say no. That's not our motivation in in asking you to give, and it's certainly not the feeling that we want uh, you to be left by. But we have to look at the results that we receive every year from this kind of checkout charity, and it's in the millions of dollars. So it's very successful. People are like in a hurry, especially at lunchtime or dinner rush. You know, they don't want to be bothered. And that Ipsos Read survey shows people are bothered. 62% of respondents are against the idea of stores asking customers to donate. Even more, 67% say it's usually not clear what, if anything, the store is contributing. Harrington also spoke with Duncan Fulton, vice president of Canadian Tire Corporation, about its efforts to raise money for its Jumpstart Foundation that helps needy kids get into sports. 
We've found that our customers really embrace Jumpstart. And overwhelmingly, our customers love the fact that we're involved in the community. They love the fact that we engage employees in that. And they respect the fact that we're trying to engage them in that as well. Fulton says about 10% of customers donate when asked. He says that's high. The campaign raises about $5 million a year for Jumpstart. But does it also raise the company's profile? There's another aspect of this kind of a program, which is what they call the halo effect. I mean, you're collecting the money and you have this big program, but you're getting kind of the glory too. So does this help drive the success of the company doing these sorts of things, even in the larger sense? I think I'd leave that up to the customers to tell us. I mean, this is, I really mean it when I say this has been in our DNA. So it's not something we do for brand. It's not something we do for marketing. It's just, it's what we do as a company. There's certain charities I regularly donate to. There are also causes that need immediate help, like weather disasters, that I may also respond to. What angers me is when I decide to help one of those causes, and I find out the money didn't provide the services I wanted to help provide, or worse, some scammer stole money that should have gone to people who really needed help. Are the people who appear to be firefighters holding boots out to your car window really firefighters trying to help other firefighters? Or are they soliciting for another charity? The car behind you blows its horn, and you need to add money into this charity toll booth or move on. You have seconds to decide. What are you going to do? There's no good answer for these situations, but if there is a cause you believe needs your help, realize you don't have to make a decision on the spot. Take time later to do a little research, then donate directly to the charity where all your money goes to help support the cause you believe in. Be a good person, but don't let your generous heart make you a sucker. If you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, please consider doing so via Patreon. For just $10 a month, you'll help us keep the lights on so we can continue to create great content for you. You can sign up at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, then search for Scams and Cons. There'll be a link in the show notes. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitzer, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. 
You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.